0: So hello, everyone, and welcome to another Speaking Of. And hello to you, Jane. You know, funny enough, I was thinking on the way in today, I think this is uh, the first one that isn't connected in some way, shape, or form to a holiday.
1: Hey, Sarah. uh, What about Pi Day, though? Today's 3.14, right?
0: Oh, my gosh, Pi Day. How could I have forgotten? A holiday for both math and pastry enthusiasts. Well, happy Pi Day, Jane. Um, You know, actually, sometimes I tell my spouse that I love them to the last digit of pi, and I have a big love for electric vehicles today, also called EVs, which is what we're going to be talking about, and their power to reduce emissions,
1: so exciting. I love that uh, example of, of pi, that's wonderful. Uh, Well, hello, everyone. Before we get started today, we just want to do some of our usual housekeeping uh, for those of you that are joining us that maybe have not attended this type of event structure before. So speaking of events are meant to be open conversations, no slideshows. We really want to hear from you today. We also want to mention that in past speaking of events, we have had some Zoom tech issues where we've cut out. Uh, please know we are working on improvements to that, including Sarah and I both trying out some new locations today to see if that yields a more stable connection. Uh, But if we do cut out, please know it will only be momentarily. We'll be right back and we appreciate your patience. So as we said, you know, we want to hear from you today. We'll be asking some questions throughout the session today. And actually, let's kick off with just that. So we've got a question to start today. Um, We want to know what is your current situation with electric vehicles. So in the Q&A box, please feel free to type in if you already have an electric vehicle, if you're maybe thinking about getting one, or if you're just here today to learn more.
0: Oh, that is such a great question to begin with. So yeah, if you will put those in in the Q&A box, that'll be helpful for us knowing where everybody's at. You know, I have to say, Jane, I really love all the great questions we've been getting in these speaking of discussions. Um, And this is a good place to start because there are a lot of questions people have about EVs. I'm actually
1: curious, Jane, what kind of questions have you gotten on this topic in the past? You know, one of the Big ones that uh, I think has been very popular and frequent is how do, and especially with the season we're in, how do EVs handle in winter, so um, snow, ice, anything related to winter, yeah, yeah, yeah that... I'm seeing we're getting a few uh, responses here, so I'll just name off a few. Uh, considering a purchase, thinking about getting one, actively considering getting either a plug in or fully electric, here to learn more here to learn more. We have a plug-in hybrid, that's great. Got it last November. Thinking about getting one uh, in the next couple of years, but it seems that there aren't that many choices in the Midwest, great. Well, we'll be talking about some of those today. Yeah. I'm totally ready for an EV, awesome. Here for information, have a plug-in hybrid. Uh, Wondering if the Tesla chargers can be used in the future. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd say we've got a great group today and a good mix there, too. Uh, We'll have information for all of you. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Thanks for your interest in EVs. And, you know, the question that you brought up earlier, Jane, about um, whether or not they work well in winter, I can imagine you got that question a lot, given that you were doing this work in Colorado. So, I imagine it was top of mind for a lot of drivers out there in those snowy peaks and it's a great place to start the conversation because as we'll see with a lot of these answers of things that we're going to be talking about today whatever an internal combustion vehicle the kind of vehicles we've been driving for the last 100 years can handle an EV generally can handle and the issues actually aren't all that different you know we don't think about it but the truth is even vehicles with an internal combustion engine lose some range in winter conditions because they have to work harder in adverse conditions and spend some of their energy on heating the interior of the car. We just don't think about it because it's generally not an issue. And it's the same for EVs. Unless you're running close to empty on the gas tank, or in the case of an EV, running close to be empty on your battery, it's not really going to be an issue for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, and you know, just like electric vehicle EV, uh, internal combustion engines actually also have an acronym. So we'll be using that moving through the conversation today, uh, just so we do not say internal combustion engine twenty more times. Um, so what that is is ICE, ICE vehicles. And in fact, you know, in a lot of cases, you may be better off in an EV than in ICE vehicle. So an example we have for you all today, if we remember that snowstorm that hit outside of Washington DC a few months back where there were a lot of drivers stuck in their cars, uh, trapped in their cars on the interstate, the interesting thing about that event is EV drivers were actually better off for two reasons. So number one, electric vehicles are incredibly efficient. Uh, So they could run longer and conserve some of that power. And then secondly, and this is definitely something that I think is an electric vehicle driver habit, is that you go home at night and you top off your battery, you plug in your car. And so a lot of those drivers were actually driving into that event that day fully charged. You know,
0: that's right. And, you know, in fact, I was speaking to a local EV owner just last week who was telling me that during the derecho we had two years ago, he was able to use his car the entire week he was without power to charge all his electronics, like his laptop laptop and cell phone. He said he would just go out and plug them in throughout the week to recharge them. And because his car was fully charged the way most EVs are most of the time, Essentially, it became like a little backup system for his household electronics. That really impressed me. And you know, you were talking earlier about how most drivers top off their batteries each night. There's actually this other connection with cell phones. You know, it's not just that you could charge a cell phone in that um, car, but that people who own EVs tend to treat them about, like cell phones, which is to say, they tend to plug them in when they get home at night or whenever there's an outlet nearby to top off the battery instead of just letting it get fully depleted and then going and refilling it, which is, I think, the more common practice for those ICE vehicles. Thank you for that acronym. Internal combustion engine is a mouthful. Um, So They're topping it off whether or not the batteries are drained, and that results in them having a full battery most of the time. I will tell you, I don't know anyone who actually goes to a gas station every single night on their way home to make sure their gas tank is full. So I started out saying that these vehicles are very similar to ICE vehicles. This is one way in which they're different and actually different in a really beneficial way.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Sarah. And this actually touches on another common question we get related to electric vehicles and that's range anxiety so can this car get me to all the places that I need to go on one charge? This is one of those questions that's actually really interesting too uh, to talk about because ranges have expanded so rapidly in the last few years. That is absolutely
0: the case you know today most new EVs coming on the market have a range of about, 250 to 350 miles when fully charged, which actually isn't all that different from a nice vehicle. Um, And it has changed rapidly in just the last few years. You know, when I started doing work with EVs about five years ago, those older EVs had a range of about 80 miles. So they've come a long way from 80 to 250. And I'll also say that even though 80 miles of range doesn't sound like a lot that actually is still plenty of range for most of the driving most people do on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's another thing that we don't often think about, but on an average day, most of us only drive about 20 to 30 miles total. So that 80 miles ended up being more than enough for those initial adopters in most circumstances.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to note here too. So the ranges that Sarah's talking about are related to in all electric vehicles so there there really are two different categories of electric vehicles that we want to highlight today there's the full battery just like what Sarah was talking about there and then there's also the plug-in hybrid Uh, and these ranges are of course for the full battery only running on electricity uh, plug-in hybrid. So they've got a battery component, but then they also actually have a small gas engine. So uh, it can switch over. When that battery is fully discharged, it can switch over to that gas engine, which gives it an even bigger range, pretty incredible, about 400 to 600 miles.
0: Hmm. I love that you brought this up, Jane. And, you know, actually we know from our Q&A that we have a plug-in hybrid driver with us today. So, wonderful. But you know, this is one of the really interesting trends that we've seen in electric vehicles in the last year, few years, especially here in Iowa. And that is that, you know, five years ago, I mentioned I was doing some of this work on the state level and what we saw then was that plug-in hybrids, people were buying them at a ratio of about three to one. So for every three plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, somebody would buy one pure electric vehicle. And now that trend has actually flipped. And what we're seeing is that more and more people are buying the fully electric vehicles. The reason for this is kind of interesting. It uh, comes down to that range anxiety at first that we were starting talking about where, Those EV drivers, those early adopters, wanted the security of the extra range, but um, what they quickly discovered, and I've heard this repeatedly talking to plug-in hybrid drivers, is that um, they were rarely switching over to the gas engine because, again, we tend to drive only about 20 to 30 miles a day, so most of the driving they were doing was still on that electric motor. And so it started, when they started thinking about it, to make more sense to go ahead and get the fully electric vehicle. You know, I've actually spoken to plug-in hybrid drivers who had concerns about not using all the gas in their tank before it started to gel because they were switching over so infrequently to those gas engines. And of course, Jane, as you and
1: I know, those fully electric vehicles come with an added bonus. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's really interesting, too, about, you know, the worry about the gas gelling because they're just not utilizing it. That's, you know, that's actually kind of a good problem to have if we think about it with that initial concern. Um, so, yeah, the added bonus, reduced maintenance costs. That's that's huge um, because an ICE vehicle has, you know, so many moving parts Uh, And as we know, if there's moving parts, those can break, or they can wear out, or they need to be replaced, right? There's maintenance that's needed. With a fully electric vehicle, though, there can be as few as just one moving part, uh, which is pretty crazy to think about, actually. What that means, though, is that you don't need to, there's less maintenance, right? Um, No belts to replace, there's no spark plugs, no pistons, and uh, this one may take some getting used to, no, no oil changes, I don't
0: know that it would take me time to get used to no oil changes.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, true, oil maybe. changes. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, speaking of brakes, um, that is one of the other questions that you and I have talked about coming up from time to time. And that's the question of whether or not the brakes help recharge the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And they do. They do. Those of you who um, drive a hybrid are probably already familiar with this technology. But in addition to the charge that these vehicles get from being plugged in. Every time you step on the brake in one of these vehicles, some of that energy is recaptured and used to recharge the battery. In fact, and this is one of my favorite EV facts, one of the, actually not one of, the largest EV in the world is an all electric dump truck called the Komatsu E-Dumper. It's an it's a electric vehicle the size of your house, literally. It operates in a mine in Switzerland, and this just is crazy it hasn't been recharged in over four years because every time the uh, Komatsu e-dumper comes down the mountain, it recaptures enough energy just from its brakes to really fully recharge the
1: vehicle so it can go back up the mountain again. To me, that's amazing. That's a pretty incredible example, actually, when we're talking about that regenerative braking. You know, if if we look at a local level example of that too, Sarah, another E.V. that is new to the streets of Iowa City that is really taking advantage of that regenerative braking are our new electric buses that are part of the city fleet. Uh, And in fact, a really cool thing about these buses, the company that we purchased those buses from, they sent a trainer uh, to Iowa City to work with our local bus drivers to learn how they could maximize that energy. Recapture, uh, which is great because that means that at night, when we're plugging those buses in to recharge those batteries, we're not having to pull quite as much electricity from the grid. That is so true.
0: And it's so cool. You know, I got to ride around on the electric buses the first day they launched. And I remember talking with the driver about the special training he had received to maximize that regenerative braking charge. But, you know, I do think it's worth saying in this conversation that. You don't need any special training to drive the smaller EVs that you and I would own. You know, as we said before, they're actually a lot like ICE vehicles that we're already familiar with. And you and I and everybody listening in today could get in one today and start driving them. No special training needed.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: But you know, the other thing I think it's important to say about those big vehicles, like the electric buses and the electric dump truck I was talking about is that, you know, as we've talked about in other speaking of discussions the most effective climate solutions usually are a combination of solutions. And for you and I getting around town, there are actually a number of options that can work like walking and biking. Those are actually the cleanest forms of transportation of all. But to get to net zero emissions, which is a goal for Iowa City, we need to have clean options for all of our transportation needs and that includes things like semis and forestry equipment and construction equipment there's just really not a good biking option that can transport something big like say all of our well you know jane all our glass recycling that goes to kansas city good point. that's the closest factory to us so we need some sort of big electric vehicle that is going to help with that eventually and These electric vehicles are an important part of the puzzle for that reason. And here's the coolest thing to me, whether or not you realize it, when you buy an EV for your own use, one of the things you actually are doing is making an investment in advancing this technology so that we can get to those bigger electric vehicles.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point, Sarah. Um, We really do need all of these options, walking, biking, electric vehicles. We need a combination. And I think this also hits on what we were talking about in our January speaking of, we gotta be realistic, right? Um, Just like what you said with moving the glass to our glass recycling facility in Kansas City, we've got to successfully get it there. So we need to think about what alternative options we could look at to keep that program successful and moving. Yeah, we've we've just, we've got to be realistic with climate action, yeah. Uh, I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, when we think of electric vehicles, one of the most common examples is a Tesla. Uh, And with Tesla, of course, comes the price tag, uh, which, which is maybe a little bit more than a lot of us want to pay. Uh, The truth is, though, when we look at electric vehicles, there are actually a lot of different makes and models out there uh, beyond just Tesla. And a lot of them are not that different in price uh, from buying, you know, if you were going to go out and buy a standard ICE vehicle. Um, So Tesla makes luxury vehicles, of course, that results in that luxury price tag. But if we look at a few examples here, so just to name a few, the Nissan Leaf, which is an all electric vehicle, those start at a about twenty-seven thousand, and if we think of another example, Chevy Bolt, which is another all-electric vehicle, starting at about thirty-three thousand. So, as Sarah said, when we think about buying vehicles like this to invest in advancing that technology, you're oftentimes not paying that different from you know what you would have been paying for an ICE vehicle purchase.
0: You know that's exactly right, and the prices for used EVs are even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, you know, like all things, it's been a little impacted by the supply chain issues that have driven prices up across the board. Um, it wasn't all that uncommon previously to find something like a used Nissan LEAP that was low mileage and relatively young. So less than three years old, less than 30,000 miles on it. You could find it used for about $10,000. Now it's closer to 15. Some of them I've seen going for 20. But if you're shopping for a new vehicle for yourself, you know, getting a low mileage vehicle like that for $15,000 is pretty similar to what you'd be paying for a used ICE vehicle.
1: Yeah. And then
0: when you add in the savings in fuel and maintenance costs, you actually really can start coming out ahead owning an EV. Um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jane, since the cost of these questions is, or vehicles is a big question that we hear a lot. Um, And speaking of which, we kicked off by asking people to fill in the Q&A box and tell us where they're at with electric vehicles. I know we already have some questions in there, Mm -hmm. but why don't we go ahead and take a break now and just open the floor for folks to put in questions that you may have come to the conversation with and you haven't heard an answer to yet. Um, And we'll see if we can get to some of them and uh, get those questions answered for you. You know, There are no bad questions. In, In fact, you know what, Jane, let me ask you,
1: what's the most unexpected question you've ever heard about an EV? Oh, I got a good one for you, Sarah. Uh, I think water. So if we think about, uh, and I I guess the question was something like, can I take an EV in a car wash? And at first I was confused until I realized what they were really asking was, you know, are you going to get electrocuted if you take that car through a car wash or if it rains on the vehicle. It sounds kind of funny, but it's actually a great question because we think of electric vehicles, it's it's not unnatural to make a connection to electronics or battery containing devices and of course we'd be concerned with water with those other examples, right? If we're building that connection. However, if we're talking about electric vehicles, just like what Sarah's been saying, you know, these function very similar to ICE vehicles. So you can get them wet. That's not a problem. You will not get electrocuted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just so what, what else just are Driving kidding? into Lake
0: McBride. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah. And, and that, that would have the same issue if there was an ICE vehicle, right? You'd still have to go and get a, a new vehicle in, in that example. So, all right. Should I read some of these questions off, Sarah? Yeah, that'd be good. And, you know, I know, why don't we start with the
0: one about um, using Tesla chargers in the future? I believe it sure. came from someone who had a, a RAV... For Prime. Um, Yes. You know, because that's a question that does come up a lot like, how are you going to know what kind of plug to use where? And so the plugs really shake out in two ways. Um, If you have a Tesla plug, if you own a Tesla, you can charge your vehicle at any charging station, whether Tesla owns it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Tesla does have some charging stations that are proprietary, meaning only Tesla vehicles can charge at them. And other vehicles, other EVs can't, but those other EVs, the plugs are standardized. So you can take, um, no matter what other kind of EV you're driving, whether it's a Nissan Leaf or a Porsche Taycan or um, a Kia Niro, you can take those plugs and plug them in at any charging station other than than Tesla because... You know, Elon Musk has made it a little special for the Tesla folks paying that extra money for the Tesla vehicles. So um, we don't know that there are any plans. Elon Musk certainly hasn't suggested that there are plans to make those charging stations available to other EV drivers. But the good news is the other charging stations are being built out very rapidly. So even if other vehicles are never allowed to access those Tesla stations, they'll still have plenty of options in all the communities they go to.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. All right. We've got a few comments here too. So we've had a Nissan LEAF for nearly three years. Use it around town since it's fully electric. Great in winter since the heaters work much faster than gas-powered vehicles. That's awesome. Thank you, Edward. And then we've got another comment. So our LEAF is 2016. So this is the same Nissan LEAF. Smaller, older battery. Max charge is 90 to 100 miles these days. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay, we've got a question for for you, Sarah. So is there a plan for more municipal EV adoption like the police department, I'm guessing, or is there a plan for localized subsidies for something like an e-bike?
0: This is a great question. You know, One of the things that makes me so proud to work in Iowa City is we actually have an electric vehicle first policy, which means that anytime we go out to buy a new vehicle to add to the city's fleet, We have to check first and see if there's an electric vehicle option available, and then we have to determine whether or not it's viable for us to use before we can explore any other vehicle. And the result of this is that the police department, you're right, does have a Chevy Bolt that they operate. Um, The city also has a number of Nissan Leafs that we um, get to use as city employees going about our work and in fact we're getting ready to add several more because they've worked out so well for city employees and I know that um, we also have our eyes on some larger options that maybe aren't available to us yet but maybe in the future including um, in Madison Wisconsin they are testing out electric fire trucks right
1: now so who knows that may be in our future too. Wow that is impressive my goodness Okay, we and you know, this might be a good one too for some of the resources I know that Sarah, you and I were talking about uh, before before this event today. So what is the best way to plan a trip? How can I be sure I'll be able to have timely access to a charge while on the road? Um, well, the short
0: answer to that is actually the vehicle will tell you. Most of these vehicles have a software package on them that, um, much like the GPS mapping systems that we've all come, become used to using in our vehicles, they maintain the same, but theirs has an added layer that shows where charging stations are. Um, So you can go about this different ways. Um, There is, as Jane mentioned, um, resources available online. There's a service called PlugShare. You can go to it. It's PlugShare.com. And what PlugShare.com does is show a map of the United States and where all the charging stations are. And you actually can click on the map um, on any of the charging stations and it'll tell you, for example, if the charging station's in use, it has um, pictures that are provided from the app users to show like verification that it actually exists. And if it's down for maintenance and that'll be noted in there as well. Uh, ChargePoint, which is an electric vehicle charging company also maintains um, an app that keeps track of where all of its charging stations are and helps direct you to it. And those can feed into the car system so that as you're driving down the road, um, it'll the car will actually tell you how far you are and how much further you can go on your current charge. We have um, one of our climate ambassadors actually is a local EV driver. And she was telling me about, um, a, I think it was a spring break trip she had gone on, where for the first day, she was a little nervous, like very carefully trying to plot out where to go when on the trip in order to make sure she was fully charged at all times. But she said after the first day, it was so easy, the technology that was available in the vehicle itself telling her where to go that she just stopped worrying about it and just you know, let the car direct her to where she needed to go next for a map. And the thing that makes me laugh about this a little is many, many, many years ago when I was in college, um, I was given a, a Citgo gas card that was um, to help pay for gas in my vehicle, which meant that, um, I I sort of internally, this is before GPS maps were widely available, developed my own map of like where all the Citgo gas stations were. And I love the idea that there's a vehicle that could do it for you now because I can tell you I definitely had some stressful rides hoping that I hit the right kind of gas station at the right time. So it's genius, genius that the cars will do this for you.
1: That's a that's a great example too, Sarah. Now, I, I think I'm gonna guess PlugShare or ChargePoint. They probably also have like mobile apps that you could download. Uh, so if you're wanting to familiarize yourself, if you know what route you're gonna be going and you want to look at a map, uh, you know, lots of lots of great tools these days. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. It's thank you, Jane, for reminding me. Yes, and all of us that you can get these apps
1: on your phone as well. You don't have to be dependent on your car to find them. Yeah. Okay, we've got one about batteries. So how long does a battery typically last? And then I'll combine that with the next one. How long does the battery last and how are the batteries recycled?
0: Oh, these are really great questions. Um, And this is also another one that comes up commonly. Um, You know, the funny thing is this was a question that maybe was a bit more of an open question when EVs started coming back on the market um, because we hadn't seen vehicles go all the way through their life cycle. But actually we've had electric vehicles now that have been in use long enough that they're beginning to age out of the fleet. And so the short answer, what I should have began with saying is that the batteries will typically last longer than the vehicle. What the data shows now is that um, by the time the vehicles have run through their use life, there's still about 70% capacity left in the batteries themselves, which really goes to the next question about recycling. Um, Recycling, as we know, is great, but as you've heard Jane and I say before, reuse is even better. Um, And so one of the things that's being explored for these batteries is um, reusing them as backup storage systems for things like household solar. In fact, not too far from here um, in in the Quad Cities um, on the Illinois side in Moline, they have a number of electric buses in their fleet. And um, part of the plan for those electric buses is as the battery technology improves because they were early adopters, they're going to rotate those batteries out of the fleet and use them as backup solar storage for their transit station. So their transit station has solar panels on the roof. The plan is to eventually use the older uh, electric vehicle batteries from their buses as storage systems um, to help maintain power in the facility should the power go out. And uh, we're seeing very similar applications in other areas. I um, actually attended a conference session last year at the end of the year that was looking at um, an emergency generating system, basically, that could be deployed to disaster areas in the state that had, it was like a cargo shipping container that had solar panels on it and some additional solar panels that could be deployed. And on the inside of that shipping container were a bunch of used EV batteries that could serve as battery storage for the solar. So, The long answer is that the batteries can be reused before they're recycled, which is great. That's something we always like to see. And then when they go to be recycled, there's actually um, an industry that's growing up around this that, much like other batteries that get sent to be recycled, involves some chemical processing to reclaim some of the uh, rare earth minerals that are in these batteries so that um, it can be cleaned and then used to create new batteries and sent out in other vehicles.
1: Yeah, those were some great reuse examples there too, Sarah, yeah. Okay, Marsha has a question about, and we covered a little bit on maintenance costs, are there estimates anywhere comparing EV versus ICE vehicle maintenance costs? Um, actually,
0: I do have some information on this. I had a, sometimes when I give slide presentations on this, I pull something up that shows all the parts that you're not going to replace, and I believe the estimate there. Um, is on average about $5,000 less in maintenance costs over the life of the vehicle, which is nothing to sneeze at. I will quite happily pay $5,000 less to maintain a vehicle.
1: Yeah, that is impressive. Okay, Uh, charging stations, how prevalent are charging stations? And I, uh, for this event, just looked at the map the other day just to make sure I was current. Uh, Very impressive, but Sarah, anything else to add there in terms of, you know, how easy is it to find a charging station?
0: No, I think we covered this one pretty well. I mean, in your in your experience, Jane, because you've been working in this sphere for a while, um, have you noticed that charging
1: stations have become more prevalent over the last few years? Absolutely. I think so, yes. I mean, and again, similar to what we we're talking about here with range anxiety, you know, this is, this is one of those environmental and climate topics that is changing the fastest, I would argue. Do you think that's correct, Sarah? I mean, in terms of every year, it just seems like the technology is is improving so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like one of the things I've noticed, because we check plug, plug share all the time ourselves to see where the new charging stations are in the area, is that Um, Oh, I'd say like three or four years ago, if you looked at something like PlugShare, what you would see are electric vehicle charging stations that were either owned by the city itself and certainly Iowa City has made a wonderful investment in putting charging stations in all of our parking ramps. Um, So you'd see them owned by a city or you would see them owned by like dealerships that had electric vehicles. So they're basically there to serve the vehicles that they were selling. But, you know, I was really struck the last time I pulled up PlugShare to see how many electric vehicle charging stations we had in our area. Now you start seeing a lot more private businesses putting them in, including, um, you know, the new urban fuels that's uh, just north of town and there's a come and go outside of downtown they've both put in electric vehicle charging stations and the i80 truck stop on interstate 80 has put in its own electric vehicle charging stations so yeah. i would say they're becoming much more prevalent and there's that trend just seems to be accelerating in part because this is where driving technology is going you know i often say to folks everyone listening to this conversation is probably at most at most two vehicles away from owning an electric vehicle and uh, recently, I've begun thinking, maybe maybe that number needs to be revised down. Maybe we're one vehicle away from the next electric vehicle. So could interesting
1: be. stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, that's good to know about the urban fuel. So I think, Sarah, you were talking about the one on Highway 1, kind of as you're heading towards Solon. Yeah, uh, I was looking at Des Moines, because I was, I was actually talking to my dad about this. He said, well, could I make it to Des Moines and back? We were talking about this. Uh, And so I started to look up charging stations in Des Moines. And just like what you said, you see a lot at come and goes and other places that you would go to fill up your gas tank, uh, but they're adding electric vehicle charging stations just to make it
0: convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, our climate action analyst, um, Daniel, and I took an EV to Des Moines and back to attend the conference where I heard about the um, battery storage options being developed. So yeah, it definitely can be done quite easily,
1: as it turns out. Yeah. Okay. We've got an interesting here, interesting question here. We have a 12-year-old Toyota Prius, still runs well with less than 100,000 miles. Is it better at this point for the overall environment to keep it or to purchase in EV? And I'm guessing they mean a full electric. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is a really thoughtful question. So thank
0: you so much for bringing it up. Um, and it's actually a question that comes up often with other kinds of energy efficient devices, which is really what an EV is something that can use energy more efficiently. Um, what we generally find is that if you have the means to invest in the cleaner technology, um, it's, it's better to go ahead and do so if you can. Um, and the reason for this is, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb I'm going to assume that if you were to buy an all electric vehicle, you wouldn't be uh, driving your Prius into Lake McBride to get rid of it, for example, that your Prius would then go into circulation in the used car market, allowing someone else to take advantage of that technology and maybe improve what they're driving. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, one of the things that I think is so compelling about electric vehicles is that every every gallon of gas you burn, whether you're burning it in a Toyota Prius or something giant like a Humvee, Every gallon of gas puts 19 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. I actually have a hybrid vehicle myself. um, And I I feel you. This is a question I've wrestled with a bit myself when I'm looking to get an EV this year. Um, My my electric vehicle has about a 10-gallon gas tank. And that means every time I deplete the gas tank, I have just put 190 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere when I switch over to an EV, that will no longer be the case. And in fact, because here in Iowa, we're so rapidly developing wind power and our grid is getting cleaner and cleaner, um, that vehicle that you drive, that EV vehicle will actually become cleaner every year you use it. So you start using it this year and there's some emissions reductions. Next year, you can drive it the same amount. It will be emitting even less. The year after that, it will be emitting even less. And that's because the grid energy gets cleaner and cleaner. So from an environmental perspective, the sooner we can switch over to these um, vehicles that consume no fossil fuels, um, the better it will be overall. Even though, of course, you know, that we're thinking about the material costs, which I think is uh, what the question really gets to about the life cycle of all the metals that were mined to put the vehicle together, um, the investment in in the battery that's in your Prius, even taking that all into account, the sooner we can switch to electric vehicles, the better that's going to be for the environment. But thank you, that's a thoughtful question and a great example of how, you know, these are complicated issues. Even when you know the advantages, there are a number of
1: factors to wrestle with and we really appreciate that. Yeah, Sarah, I think you bring up another good connection there of, you know, meet climate action where you're at. And just like what you said, if this particular individual has had a Prius, they're used to a plug-in hybrid and now they feel confident to go all electric, Maybe there's another person that could end up buying that used car that has an ICE vehicle, is a little uncomfortable with the idea of fully electric yet, but they might be interested to try the plug-in hybrid. So again, meeting climate action where you're at and what works with your budget and with your lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay, is it better, I like this one, is it better to let your battery completely discharge? or is it okay to top off as mentioned? So do we want a completely empty battery before we charge it or is it okay to just charge it when you're at a charger?
0: You know, so many of these questions I answer by babbling and then saying, so the short answer is, I'm, I'm actually gonna start with the short answer. The short answer is, It's better to top off your battery than it is to completely discharge it. And that's actually true of any electric device you have, Um, your laptop, your cell phone. Generally speaking, you don't want the battery to get all the way down to empty. Batteries are happier operating um, at about 80% charge, generally speaking. In fact, when we had our um, Drive Electric Week event as part of Climate Fest in the fall, I met with a number of Nissan LEAF owners who um, there's something you can adjust in the Nissan Leaf programming itself as an owner that will say, when you top it off at night, you only want to top it off to 80%. And the reason they do that is because it extends the life of the battery. Now, um, as I'd mentioned, the batteries tend to outlive the vehicles anyway. Um, So these are folks who are just being especially prudent in their energy usage, but it's certainly an option. And if you're only filling it up, you know, 20% at night versus 100% that's obviously better for the vehicle. And it's also better for your own household electricity bill, right? It just sort of stabilizes those costs a little. That's a great
1: question. Yeah. Okay, state or federal tax credits. If so, how do those work? All right, so yes, there are federal tax
0: credits available for electric vehicles They're not available for all of them. The way the federal tax credits have been set up is that um, they're meant to incentivize early adoption. So for the first 450,000 vehicles that a vehicle manufacturer produces that are electric, you can qualify for up to $7,500 in tax credits. Um, And there are two important things to pay attention to there. One is whether or not the company has already produced 450,000 electric vehicles. So in the case of a company like Tesla, those federal tax credits have already expired and are no longer available. So the price tag you see on a Tesla is the price tag you're going to pay. For other companies that are just beginning to get into the market or maybe have been in the market for a while but haven't yet sold you know, a little less than half a million electric vehicles, those credits are still available to you on your taxes. But and here's the other thing you have to pay attention to. You have to owe $7,500 in taxes in order to be able to get that credit back to you. So if your um, income is, let's say you maybe have a moderate income for your household, um, the chances are you may not be able to get that full $7,500 credit. Let's say you have an income such that annually, you only owe $5,000 to the government each year, to the federal government that is. Um, You would get $5,000 in credits but you wouldn't get the remainder. It would just sort of evaporate more or less. I have heard, actually, I do know an EV driver myself, who's a good friend of mine, um, who is not at the income level to qualify for the full $7,500 rebate. But the dealer that he bought, in his case, he bought um, a Kia Niro from, uh, worked out a leasing arrangement where essentially the dealership gets to capture that $7,500 uh, tax credit because they clearly owe more than $7,500 in taxes each year. Um, and then they pass that credit on to the EV driver through that lease arrangement. So even if you think you may not qualify for that tax credit, it's worth talking to the dealership to see what kinds of arrangements might be made to help you capture it so that maybe the, what you pay for the EV is less because they're getting the benefit of the tax credits on your behalf. Um, so That's the federal tax credits. State level, there aren't really tax credits at this time for electric vehicle adoption, but um, you do see some credits through utility companies, including MidAmerican Energy, which is the utility provider for Iowa City. Uh, MidAmerican Energy has a program that provides a $500 rebate to uh, its its customers in return for buying a new EV. So if you go out, if you're inspired after this uh, presentation, you wanna go out and buy an electric vehicle, be sure that you go to MidAmerican's website and download the application to get your $500 rebate because they will also contribute a bit to the cost of the vehicle that way.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah, well, thank you, Sarah. That was an awesome explanation of credits there. Uh, this is one that I'm, I'm curious about. So our plug-in hybrid says to not use ethanol gas. Do you know why? Any idea on that one, Sarah? Um, I don't know for sure. I don't know all uh, hybrid vehicles or sure.
0: plug-in hybrids, but um, I can say from my own hybrid vehicle that, uh, <laughs> this is painful, especially now with rising gas prices, Um, that it says to use only premium gas and I assume that's to avoid ethanol Um, and part of that just has to do with the precision designing and engineering of the engine as it's been explained to me. I don't think it's going to kill your vehicle to put something with ethanol in it but of course I think it's probably best to follow the manufacturer recommendations as much as you can Um, and I, you know, I'm not an engineer, so I can't speak to it um, incredibly precisely, but I think it may have something to do with the moisture content of ethanol versus regular gasoline. But again, I don't know for sure. It's something I'm happy to look up and try to follow up with you on, um, especially if I know a bit more about the vehicle itself. But, you know, yeah. you, I mentioned earlier the uh, rising gas prices which I think we're all feeling the pain of at the moment and that is something that hasn't come up in our questions yet but I think it's worth discussing. It's certainly something I have been thinking about in the last couple of weeks as a result of recent world events and that's the idea of electricity as fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're experiencing right now fuel prices tend to fluctuate widely each year, going up and down by several dollars. And that's based on a number of factors, including where we get the gas from. But the cost of electricity over the last 15 years or so has barely risen 50 cents in all that time. So if you look at a graph of uh, fuel prices, gasoline tends to go up and down and oscillate pretty wildly. Uh, Electricity just sort of putters along steadily on a straight line. Um, So it can be more stable in terms of household budgeting, but I think even more importantly in light of recent world events is that electricity is something that is generated 100% locally. There is no such thing as importing electricity from overseas, Um, so the electricity that gets used in our area is electricity that is generated here in Iowa, and because we don't have to rely on other countries to get it or we don't have to go to far off places to drill for it, it makes it a much more stable and secure fuel to be putting in our vehicles overall. We often talk about um, the advantages of EVs in terms of emissions reductions and how they benefit our household budget, but I think that idea that we don't have to go overseas to get that electricity is actually something important to keep in mind as well
1: yeah good point Sarah and I'll also add uh, we've got in the chat box Mike added ethanol is more corrosive to engine parts than premium or regular gasoline so that may have something to do with it as well yeah all right well Sarah you you good for a few more questions here we're they're rolling in I am we can power through
0: Okay, and, you know it's probably a good point to say too that, like with other speaking of the questions we don't get to in our discussion today. Uh, we will follow up with you via email, we have the registration emails for anybody who participated in this so fear not your questions okay. will get answered.
1: yeah yep and we're, we're doing great on time still 1245 so we'll ro- roll through a few more here. Uh, and I don't know if this is maybe a per state thing, but we have a question from Carol asking why don't you require new gas stations to have chargers like the brand new Quickstar? Are there any requirements in place?
0: I don't think there are any requirements in place currently. Um, that's a, it's a really excellent question. You know, yeah. part of what I think about in just hearing the question now is how many gas stations are already adopting uh, electric vehicle charging stations on their own? Um, and so it could be that they're not required because they don't need to be, that the market is just going to drive people to put in those electric vehicle charging stations as more and more people adopt electric vehicles. But you know, the other reason for it um, is that the data shows pretty clearly having electric vehicle charging stations uh, publicly available is really helpful for addressing that idea of range anxiety. But the truth is, more than 70% of charging for electric vehicles is done at home in the evenings. Um, And so to drive electric vehicle adoption, you don't necessarily need a whole bunch of gas stations to have them. Um, What you really need is people to have access to charging available to them where they live. Um, because that's where most of the charging is going to happen and this is actually one of the reasons iowa city this is another thing i'm so proud of the city for um, recently rolled out a rebate program to help landlords and condominium hoas establish electric vehicle charging for their tenants um, because we know that having electric vehicle charging available at home having an outlet you can plug in is the chief driver in whether or not someone adopts an electric vehicle it makes sense that we want to make sure renters here in Iowa City or folks who are living in condominiums have those same opportunities to participate in this technology that's better for the environment and often better for the pocketbook. Um, So I think it's kind of funny. It's it's a bit of a mindset. I was talking with our uh, climate ambassadors recently about like what will look different in the future as a result of the kind of climate work we're doing today. And I made the point that You know, it's funny now with everybody having cell phones, if we think about past behavior just 20 years ago, it probably sounds weird to people who are growing up never experiencing landlines to say, you know, once upon a time when you went to talk to someone on the phone, you had to go to one specific room in your house you had to stand and look at the wall where the phone was plugged in and just stand there for 20 minutes or 30 minutes while you were talking to whomever, sort of like being sent to the corner to be punished. You know, nobody does that anymore. We just take it for granted that we can talk everywhere. I said, um, in a very similar way, I think in the not too distant future, it's going to seem really strange to us to say, you know, once upon a time, if you needed to refuel your vehicle instead of just Plugging it in when you got home and not thinking about it again until the morning, you had to go to a special part of the neighborhood and stand outside next to a smelly gas pump, no matter what the weather was, no matter how cold or rainy or hot it was, and just wait for your tank to get filled before you could get back in it and move on. Um, and so I do think that gas stations have a role to play in helping adopt electric vehicles. Ins- uh, charging infrastructure, but much more important is making sure people um, have the ability to charge it where they live because that's the paradigm shift we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so speaking of that, Sarah, and this is a wonderful question, how do you adapt a power source at home to charge your electric vehicle?
0: Well, you know, the truth is you may not have to. Most of these vehicles come with what's known as a level one charger. It's sometimes also called a trickle charger because it's just trickles in the electricity overnight when you plug it in and that actually can be plugged into a 110 outlet it's not going to charge your vehicle very quickly um, but for many people driving electricity or driving evs it's enough to recharge their vehicle overnight so they can go out and do the driving they need to do the next day um for those who want a more rapid charge at home you can put in a level two charger and that's the kind of chargers that we see in the uh, parking garages here around Iowa City and at some of our local businesses. Um, It's a smaller unit for home than the sort of tower that we see in the ramps, but it's uh, same technology, charges at about the same rate. And for those, you may need a panel upgrade to get up to a a 220 outlet for it. Um, I think commercially you need 240. But uh, that's no different than the kind of panel upgrade you would need to have a dryer at home for your laundry. So it's very simple. Um, An electrician can come in and do it to give you that higher charge. And then buying an at-home
1: charging unit uh, would run about $500. Great. How safe are EVs in crashes if you were to get in a car crash? Any information on that? Um, They seem to be pretty comparable
0: to other vehicles. Uh, One of the nice things about EVs is because they are advanced vehicles, they tend to come with a lot of technology already built in, Um, some of the early autonomous vehicle technology. So they don't drive on their own, but they have some of the building blocks leading to it that are things like lane departure monitors. Um, A lot of them can monitor the vehicles that are around you. Um, I actually borrowed my friend's Nero last year to drive somewhere. And uh, it automatically, I probably shouldn't admit this, it automatically slowed the vehicle down when it felt like it was getting too close to a semi. So in terms of being in an actual collision, they seem to be about as safe, if not a little safer, than um, other vehicles that are already on the road that we're comfortable with. But they have this added layer of technology that actually makes those collisions a little less likely to happen in the first place, which makes them a bit more safe than the ICE vehicles or older ICE vehicles that we're familiar with. Good to know.
1: Now we've had a few questions on what it costs to charge. So if you are at a public charging station, let's say like the charging station in Chauncey Swan parking ramp downtown, uh, is there a fee? Is it free? How does that work?
0: right now it's free. Um, All you have to pay to use the electric vehicle charging in our parking ramps is to pay the normal parking fee that you would, and then you just go to a a charging station and plug in. And part of the reason we're able to do that is actually electric vehicles are pretty cheap to charge. Um, I haven't seen the most recent data on this, but the last time I saw a report from ChargePoint, um, it showed that most vehicles take about Fifty cents worth of electricity in a charging session. So that's something that the city so far has been able to absorb. That probably is going to change in the future, and the reason it's going to change is the Iowa State Legislature passed a law a couple of years ago, saying that um, any commercially dispensed electricity should have a tax attached to it, a little extra fee to help pay for road maintenance the way any commercially available gasoline is. Um, And this is another reason I think we're very interested in also accelerating um, electric vehicle charging at home because it's another way that it's just gonna be simpler for you overall. Um, When that tax gets instituted, chances are Iowa City is going to have to start Charging for the electric vehicle charging because we'll have to document that we're collecting that tax and passing it on to the state. It won't happen
1: this year, but it is something to be aware of down the road. Great, thanks, Sarah. Okay, and then I think the final question, and then we'll we'll probably be wrapping up here since we're at about 1253 here. Uh, general answer on how long it takes to charge a vehicle and i know that there are some you know different types of chargers out there some are faster than others but maybe a few examples
0: yeah Um, the short answer is it depends and a lot of that comes back to what we were saying earlier about how they resemble cell phones in this way if you're just topping it off it's not going to take that long to charge if you have fully depleted the battery it's going to take a bit longer Um, And it also depends at the charging level you're charging at. So that level one charger that can just plug into a 110 outlet, that's gonna take a long time. It's probably gonna take a full eight hours to charge, which sounds like a long time, again, especially compared to what we're used to at the gas station. But the thing to remember here is you're plugging it in when you're near an outlet at home usually, or sometimes when you're at work. And so that eight hours is often enough time to fully recharge the car if you're not driving great distances. Level two charges a little faster on average. Um, A level two charge can fully recharge a battery in about four hours. And then the DC fast charger, which is also sometimes called level three charging, that charges very quickly. Um, Right now estimates hover around about 40 minutes to fully recharge a depleted battery. Um, I've seen some estimates coming out showing that um, the future of fast charging may be as little as 20 minutes Um, in the near future. And that's pretty close to what we see at gas stations. So again, I think the thing to remember there with the DC fast charging is the time you're going to use it is really on those long distance trips when you're traveling down the interstate, maybe going on vacation, where it really matters to you to get fully charged and back on the road. And 20 minutes is about enough time, you know, to go into the convenience store and get something to snack on and maybe visit the restroom, stretch your legs and then get back in the vehicle and get down the road. And that's why you see gas stations along the interstate like the IED truck stop adopting that DC fast charging. But for um, day-to-day use, driving around in town, going to work, going to school, going to visit your friends, um, there you're really looking at level two and level one charging and that charging, um, in it's gonna be done overnight more often than not. um, And you're gonna have ample time in the space of that evening to
1: get your battery fully recharged. Great, thank you, Sarah. I know there was a lot of questions, you did awesome. Um, So for for those of you, especially on the call today that are either thinking about getting an electric vehicle or you're just wanting to learn more, if you want to see an EV up close, please save the date uh, for our City Electric Bus Ribbon Cutting Event, which will be happening next month right around Earth Day. And then also we do want to do a shout out for National Drive Electric Week, which is the last week in September. We mentioned that as well because it aligns right with Iowa City's Climate Fest. in which we will have some other opportunities for our residents and community members to get up close, see those EVs and to learn more as well at that time.
0: Yeah. You know, and what I love about National Drive Electric Week is it usually has an EV car show where local EV drivers come and they open up the hoods, so you can see the engine that's not there yeah. in some of these vehicles. And it's a chance to talk to actual drivers. So you don't have to take my word for it or Jane's word, or even the word of someone at your dealership. You can talk with someone who actually owns the vehicle, who knows what it's like to drive them day to day. And uh, I just, every time I've organized these in so many cities at this point that It's really striking to me how much EV drivers love their vehicles. They love them, and they love talking about them, which I think really can give us some confidence in thinking about adopting an EV ourselves. But you don't have to wait till September to learn more about EVs. We've mentioned a couple resources um, along the way that are worth checking out. But if you'd like to do your own research about EVs, there are a couple great websites we can recommend. Um, The first is pluginamerica.org. And one of the great things about Plug-in America's website is that you can type in where you live and it will tell you what EVs are available in your area. So of all the EVs that are in the market, it's going to tell you which ones you can buy here in Iowa. It's going to give you pricing information. It's going to tell you about the basic range for these vehicles. So really great consumer information to have as you go in to uh, make that decision. And then there's another website that I just love. It's a new website. It's called Normal Now, um, NormalNow.com. It has a lot of the same information as Plug in America, um, but it really gets to the sort of the nuts and bolts of owning an EV and just how normal an experience this can be for EV drivers. And then another one that I want to give a shout out to is Ed Noir, N O I R E dot Um, EV Noir is a group that was formed specifically to help uh, facilitate EV adoption um, for members of the BIPOC community. So, you know, it's not just Elon Musk and a bunch of wealthy white guys out driving EVs. Um, It makes a really compelling uh, argument that this is technology that can work for everyone and should be made available to everyone. And they do really great advocacy work. So EV Noir, another great website to check out. And of course, you can go to the city's own website to learn about the uh, EV charging rebate that I mentioned earlier for apartments and condos. You have to be a landlord to apply for that EV charging uh, rebate, but if you're a renter, um, it can be great information to bring to your landlord. One of the things you know we sometimes hear from landlords is, "Oh, I don't have anybody in my EV or my uh, complex who's really interested in EV charging." So if you're the one coming to them saying, I'd like to be able to charge an electric vehicle here, and I heard about this program that will help pay for the installation costs. That can be a really compelling argument. uh, They'll trust you more than they trust us, I think. So, you know, Jane, in our last speaking of discussion, we ended with one of my favorite facts about recycling here in Iowa City. I'm kind of wondering, could, could I do it again and tell you one of my favorite facts about EVs that hasn't come up in our discussion and I think is really special to Iowa?
1: I would love to hear it. And I feel like that's the cherry on top of the Sunday to end this session. It is indeed.
0: So the very first electric vehicle in the United States was called the Morrison Electric Carriage. You can look it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was invented, are you ready for it? In Des Moines, Iowa, where it provided transit service around downtown. So our new electric buses really are bringing us full circle almost right back to where EVs began 130 years ago. I mean, this technology was operating in Des Moines in the 1890s. I think that is something really special that Iowa can be proud of, this amazing technology that actually is key to our fight against climate change. It's a gift that Iowa gave the world.
1: I love it. And, you know, (laughs) Iowa continues to impress me always. I know that I'm biased because I I am from here and I I love this state, but that's a very cool fact. Well, thank you for sharing, Sarah. Uh, And thank you everybody that has joined us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, As something new this time, we will be sending an email later this week to anyone that registered and we'll include a link to the recorded conversation. I know sometimes uh, we hear from friends saying, oh, I miss that. I would like to see it. Now you'll have a link that you can share that. And then we'll also have that available on our city, uh, city channel 4 YouTube page as well for anybody else that is interested. Uh, and we also wanna mention that if uh, you ever, anyone on the call, if you ever want Sarah and I to you know, give a similar presentation to a group that you're a part of, we are happy to recreate this discussion. And of course, if there are any questions that arise past today's event, always feel free to reach out to Sarah or I.
0: Absolutely. We we love recreating these discussions for groups. That's how we get the word out. So uh, if you put in that request, what you're going to hear from us is thank you so much for helping us get the word out. So, and thank you for joining in today in these excellent questions. We'll follow up with the ones we couldn't get to, but we love the ones we got. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks everyone for
1: joining us today and have a great day. Yeah.